Well, for 17 years, I have wished and hoped for a moment like this, when we would have a woman speaking on Mother's Day. And not only do we have one woman speaking today, but two very capable women have come to share the story of their lives. Lisa Robertson and Elizabeth Robertson-Williams have been dancing a mother-daughter duet for 26 years. They are both teachers, women Bible study teachers. They're both writers. Uh, Lisa has five children, and she should win some kind of Lifetime Achievement Award for that. Uh, they will speak their hearts to you today. They are women of deep faith. Uh, God has done something good in this mother-daughter divine duet. Please welcome Lisa and Elizabeth. We want to thank you all, first of all, for the great privilege of being here. And we've just watched the dance and heard the mother-daughter duet for the second time. And I have to tell you, it, it gets better every time I hear it. We love Spring Branch. We love the gifts that they give to the community. And we just really appreciate the gift they've given us by asking us and allowing us to be here with you today. And we want to talk about um, the mother-daughter duet. One of the things that I have realized recently is that every great world leader was shaped by a mother. And every, every leader, every worst world leader, had a, mother, had a mother's influence as well. I think the mother-daughter or the mother-child relationship is something that is so powerful and, and so, it could be so glorious and so beautiful and it can also be so destructive. There was a poem written in 1865 and one of the lines is something I know, a line you've all heard, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And I think it's as true today as it's ever been. One of the ways that we look at the parent-child, the mother-daughter relationship, is we look at it as one of God's great gifts to us. And it's, we want to tell you a little bit about some of our insights and some of the blessings, the joys, the heartaches that we've experienced. I'm going to start by introducing my second daughter, Elizabeth. She was, um, she's the second of four daughters and one son. Our son, everybody assumes our son is the last, but he is actually right in the middle, so he has two older sisters and two younger sisters, and he's probably, definitely, the best adjusted child of all. Uh, I had my children, uh, they, the oldest was eight, so I had five children, and they were eight, six, four, two, and a newborn baby. And I look back on some of those years, and I just, I can't remember anything. Uh, so it was a big fog, and I just will tell any mother in that situation just to lower your expectations. It is a great day if everybody gets up, gets dressed, gets fed, and gets back into bed. You've had a successful day. <laughs> well, I had, I unfortunately had many days when I was feeling uh, like a failure and defeated. Uh, when Elizabeth was born, she let out a yell, and she took full control of the delivery room. She had everybody in the palm of her hand in her first instant of life, and she has continued to be large and in charge ever since then. Uh, she lived her life on the edge, and uh, when she was a baby, she would crawl up and push, out a screen, push the screen out of her second-story window. She one time was adventurous enough to ride her tricycle down a short flight of stairs, she often got stitches. We, I went to the uh, emergency room several times with her because she was doing acrobats in Wendy's while I was waiting for Frosties and French fries. Uh, there was a point in this, and I mean this very sincerely, there was a point in my life as a mother that I was afraid to love her because I was afraid that she wasn't going to survive childhood. 
And then when she learned to drive, I was afraid neither one of us were going to survive. <laughs> that was a whole nother and new adventure. Well, when Elizabeth was two, I had what I would call a, a real life-changing experience. I would often go to bed at that time feeling like a real failure because I couldn't, I couldn't manage her. If I told her to do, do something, she always wanted to do the opposite. Um, I don't call her a terrible two because my mother wisely told me that what you say is what you get. So I would call her strong-willed, determined, she knows what she wants, energetic, and she was a lot of fun. But on this one particular night, I went to bed and I was a defeated failure. And I think that's worse, worse than just feeling like a failure because I, I felt both, just total defeat and a failure. I often prayed for my children, not just for when I had two, but when I had five. And this, my prayer for Elizabeth and being her mother was you have created her, you know how she works, this is your gift to me, I don't understand any of it, and I'm giving her back to you, but I really need your help, God, please help me. And that was my constant prayer, because I just could not figure her out. And this one particular night, um, I will, I will back, I'll back it up a little bit by saying the, the more defiant she became, the more militant and harsh my discipline came, be, my discipline would be. And this one particular night, I was lying awake and, and you know, bathed in failure and regret. And I had this thought, and the thought was, my militant discipline was driving her away. And that what I really needed to do was to put my arm around her and to guide her to the places that she needed to go. And I have to tell you, on so many levels, that night and that insight changed my life. For the first way it changed my life was it totally changed our relationship from that day forward. And anytime, even now, if I am harsh with her, she rebels, and if I am a coach and guide her, she responds. The other way that it changed my life is I realized that God cared about me. He cared about what I was, what I was struggling with and my burdens. But most of all, he gave me such insight that, that unlocked my parenting, and I knew that night that God wanted me to succeed. And if I asked him and counted on him, he, he would help me. I would, he would make me a successful mother and he would help us have successful children. And I just cannot tell you how often I have just treasured the reality that God cares about me as a mother and he cares about the concerns I have, but he can make us successful. I have two verses that during that time that meant a lot to me. The first one is from James and it's simply, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask and God will give it generously. And the second verse is one from Isaiah 40:11, and it says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arm and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. And this was just a promise and a hope that I held on to all the time that I was rearing these young children. As I look back on my childhood and teenage years, um, I still cringe at the way I treated my mom. Just the words that I said to her, the fights, the tears. And I was very dramatic, so I always liked to make a big showing when I was upset. 
and my favorite thing to do was slam the door. And it got so bad, my mom threatened to take the door off of its hinges so I wouldn't have that extra oomph when I was really upset, so I couldn't slam it. But thankfully, I maintained my door for my um, teenage years and got to hold on to it. Um, but it, it's still hard for me, even to hear some of the things that she says, to think of what I put her through um, can be hard. Um, but we have called this talk the Divine Duet. Because if you look, and we just heard Letha with her two beautiful daughters, that duet is so beautiful. Or I, I don't know what you call it with three, but the, <laughs> their singing and that harmony is so beautiful. And when, when you're in harmony and you're on pitch, it, it's so life-giving. But who wants to listen to one that's off-key? Um, and a duet we de is defined, we looked it up, it's defined as a vocal or instrumental piece of music which has two parts of equal importance. And our duet today is one of mothers and daughters because that's who we are. But I think in life there are so many different duets, whether it's a parent and a child, um, 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 a parent and a child, husbands and wives, business partners. Even in my life there have been spiritual mothers or second mothers to me that have really invested in me at certain stages and given me their love. And I, I consider them to be mother-like to me. Um, but I think these relationships and these duets are so important to look at because they can be the most life-giving relationships we have, but they can also sometimes be the most destructive. Um, so today we're not really here to talk about how harmonious we are because all it takes is writing a talk on mothers and daughters to realize that you're not always in harmony with each other. Um, but we really want to convey how we can stay in tune with one another and see the equal importance of both parts, both the mother and the daughter. So to illustrate this, we've come up with the Divine Duet's Greatest Hits, um, this is a very extensive collection, ranging from <laughs> Hannah Montana to the Righteous Brothers. Um, so let's start with song number seven. <laughs> Nobody, here it comes. Everybody it's called mistakes. Nobody's Perfect. Now some of you who are over the age of 12 might not know who Hannah Montana is. She's Disney's pop princess. Those of you with young kids might know who she is. I will admit I'm kind of a closeted fan. I'm not sure why, but today I love Hannah Montana because she has a song called Nobody's Perfect, which is our seventh point that we really want to talk about because I think it's something we hear so often. Well, you know, nobody's perfect, but when I look at my mom, I expect her to be, and I kind of have these unrealistic expectations that as a mother, she's going to do everything I want, be everything I need, and she will never, ever let me down. And what happens is when that doesn't happen, I get so upset, and I'm really hurt by that because she's supposed to be everything that I want. Um, I remember one time there was, in high school, in ninth grade, we had had a really hard experience, and I felt betrayed by her. And we were in the car, I think we were both crying, and she looked at me and she just said, I'm not perfect, and God didn't make me perfect, because if he made me perfect, you wouldn't have a need for a God, because I would be so great and wonderful, you just want to worship me all the time. And at the time, I don't really think I let that sink in, because I was really upset, but looking back on that, she, it, it was so true, because if our parents were perfect, and if they really were everything we needed to, them to be, we wouldn't have a need for God. Um, and I remember when I started beginning to grow more in my faith, I kept hearing over and over again about how we are broken and we're sinful people and we're a people in need of forgiveness and God is able to forgive us. And I just thought, oh, how wonderful, how grateful that I am imperfect and in Christ I am fully forgiven. 
Um, but when it comes to my mom, I, I forget that that applies to her too. Um, there's a verse that I think can illustrate this and how we can look at our moms in Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And we'll touch on forgiveness a little bit later, but for me, that verse is really helps to emphasize the fact that um, just in the same way God has called, God gives us grace, we are also called to show that to our parents. It applies to them as well. And we're very thankful for that. <laughs> uh, following on that, I think sometimes I, I think of mothers and daughters, um, they can't be each other's saviors. And what I mean by that is sometimes we put unfair demands and expectations on either our parents or our children where we want them to meet needs or do things for us or in our lives that they are not even capable of doing. And I think there were times when I felt that I, I wanted to take care of my children and meet all their needs, but I didn't have the emotional or the physical resources to be everything they needed me to be. And, I, and that's almost a relief um, in many ways. I think it's easy for sometimes for a mother to get stuck in, in a rut of, of worshiping their child. Their entire world begins to revolve around a child or more than one children, more than, more than one. Uh, years ago, Elizabeth had the leading role in a ballet. She was a very young, young child and she was very, very unpredictable. As we got through the rehearsals and we would get closer and closer to the performance, as I, as the mother, wanted to make sure that she had everything she needed. Is she well fed? Is she well rested? And most of all, is she happy? Will she do what she's supposed to do? Will she perform well? And it got to the point shortly before the performances and even during, it was one of those ballets that you perform for two weekends, our whole family revolved around Elizabeth. And we all wanted to make sure that she was so happy. The problem with that is that Elizabeth turned into a little tyrant. I had given her, <laughs> maybe she was a, I was a, maybe she was a big tyrant. Um, but what happened was she had become too important and she had too much power and authority in the family. Our family lost the fa what I would call the family balance. Um, there's another way that we can lose our, the family balance and that's when uh, we allow a child or a spouse's critical or a parent's critical and hurtful words determine how we feel about ourselves. And that will bring us to the sixth song, uh, which is the Righteous Brothers song. And it is. <laughs> You've lost that loving feeling. What I think about, if I were to ever write a book about raising daughters, I know that the title of the book would be She Loves Me, She Loves Me Not. She Loves Me, She Loves Me Not. And as I was raising these little darlings, I, day after day, I just would take the petals off the flower and I never really knew which day this was going to be. But with four daughters, you can imagine many days, most days, where she loves me not. Uh, I, I look back on that and I, and I think about how sensitive I became because I would pour my lives into these children and they didn't appreciate, I didn't, I didn't feel that they appreciated me. I didn't feel that they needed me. And I would often feel totally rejected. What I learned through that time is that my hypersensitivity, my hurt feelings were based on my emotions. And I had to distance myself from what they were saying about me or how they made me feel 
and really begin to establish who I am, who I know I am, and more importantly, who I am in God's eyes. And in God's eyes, I am his child. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and, I, and, and he cares and loves for me more than anybody ever would. I learned at that time that a child's temper tantrum against me should never be how I identify myself and become my reality. I think that one of the most important ways mothers and daughters can live in harmony is through encouragement. And this brings us to song number five. Build me up, buttercup. Because I think encouragement is one of the most important gifts that you can give in give to each other. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I look at my wonderful mom, she can do 10 things right in a day, but for some reason it is so much easier for me to point to that one flaw that she might have, or maybe more than one, depending on the day. Um, it's so much easier to criticize instead of encourage each other. And I think when we encourage each other, and daughters, when we're encouraging our mothers, it helps equip them to do their job and to know that we appreciate them, because they do so much for us. Um, a small compliment can mean the world to them. And when I look at my mom, I think one of the greatest things that she instilled in me was her constant encouragement. Um, she really raised me to believe that I could be anything and do anything I wanted. Um, a great example of this is when I was in high school, I played field hockey, and I finally made the varsity team. And I'm not really sure how I made it because I was not the star player at all and I really didn't get much playing time. Um, but my mom was faithful to come to every single game and she would stand on the sidelines and cheer for the team. And at the end of each game, sometimes I would feel a little defeated, kind of, well, what's my role here? I, why am I even on this team? I don't really play. And I would, I'd feel almost like I let her down. She came all this way and I only played for three minutes. Like that's not really a good use of her time. And I would cross the, the field to her and she would always have her arms wide open and say, honey, you were great. You did such a great job. When you were in the game for three minutes, the field was ignited. You're the spark that the team needs and they couldn't do it without you. And every time she did this, it happened every single time. It made me feel so much better. And it also made me feel like I had a role to encourage and support and really be the spark of the team in that one little minute of the, my playing time. And at my senior year, I ended up being chosen to be captain of the team. And it was not because I was the MVP, because I was very far from that. But it was, I think, because my mom's encouragement really equipped me to see that I had a role there and that my role was to encourage and build the, build the team up. When I hear her tell that story, I think about the expression, love is blind. And I can genuinely tell you that I honestly believe that when she was in the game, the whole team was <laughs> I wasn't just saying that to be nice. I really meant it. <laughs> um, all right. We mothers are in the midst of the laundry and carpools and total chaos. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I longed for a more glamorous life. And here's your chance, because this brings us to song number four by my hero. <laughs> Here we come with Madonna, and you dared me to do this. Strike the pose. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I want to say, you know, is that we, we mothers are America's top model. And it sounds so glamorous, but I don't think so. It, it is not glamorous at all. 
What we need to know is that everything you do as a parent, your child is watching and will imitate, for better or for worse. Uh, one of my most memorable stories about Elizabeth is when she was in the door slamming middle school years, she came home to me one day so proud of herself and she told me that she had been studying the Bible and that she had learned a new Bible verse. And I was delighted. I'm a Bible teacher. I thought, finally, I'm getting through to her. She's imitating me in all the right ways. And so I asked her. I couldn't wait to hear what she had been learning. And so she was very confident. I told, asked her, I said, please tell me what it is. And she put this big smile on her face, and she recited her verse, Psalm 56.1. Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. <laughs> It's in there. And I wanted to say, put that book away. <laughs> uh, on a more serious note, I feel very strongly that, we, that I need to, I would say to my children when they would be rude to each other, don't talk like that. And then I just had to reflect, is that how I talk to them? And how can I expect my children not to be rude to each other or rude to me if they hear me being rude to them, rude to Tim, or even rude to my mother? And I really would, would caution you to watch what you're modeling for your children, because they will do it all. And I'm not a mother yet, but my oldest sister just had a baby. She's one. And this modeling principle starts, I think, from day one. And even at six months old, we would have her sitting at the table with us in her high chair. And she does not want a bottle. She doesn't even want a sippy cup. She had to have the big girl cup and put it on her hands and her little teeth chatter away to try to drink it. She didn't want to eat the baby food. She wanted to eat the big girl food because she sees what her mom is doing and she just wants what her mom has. So I really, it's just interesting to me to see how even from day one, that modeling principle really holds true. And I think even looking at my mom now, for better or for worse, I am her a little bit in many, in good ways and bad ways. And I remember um, when I would want to her to take me shopping one of these days when I might not have even been on an I love you day, but I really wanted her to take me shopping. I'd say, please, can we go to the mall? And she would be like, well, I think we need to stop by TJ Maxx first because you just never know what they have. And I would always be so upset. I'm like, Mom, I don't have time for bargain shopping. Take me to the mall. Um, and even now, I'm not, I don't have children, but I am married. And if we ever have to go shopping, you know, we'll be on the way to the mall. And I'll say, well, I think we need to go by TJ Maxx first because you just never know what they might have. <laughs> um, so I can see that I'm our, I have inherited her sport of bargain shopping. <laughs> I tell her it's a team sport, and I think it really is. The, on the last element of being a model, one of the most important parts of it is, I think about, when it comes to modeling, I think about who is it that I want to model, and I've learned that who I really want to model is God. And I have spent years, just from time to time, thinking about how is it that God parents me, and how can I imitate him? And probably the most, the greatest, quality or characteristic that I, that I long for is his unconditional love. And I want to learn how to love people in my life with his total unconditional love, that I can accept them where they are and, and as they are. And I've learned that his unconditional love for me gives me the freedom to try new things and it gives me the freedom to fail. And the other thing I've often thought about is how does God correct me? And I've really, really pondered this a lot. And the, what I've learned is God is never harsh, he is never critical, and he is never unkind when he's correcting me. His, his 
correction in my life is always constructive. It builds in my life. And knowing his love and how he corrects me has really helped me learn how to make good decisions. And during, as we prepared this talk, I was asking Elizabeth yesterday, you know, um, did I ever lecture her? Because what I've learned in this talk is that God has never lectured me. And that's something I want to learn. I'm still learning about imitating God. So I figure better late than never. And the verse we have with that is Ephesians 5, 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. For song number three, we had to bring in the Queen of Soul and talk about a little R-E-S-P-E-C-T, respect. <laughs> because I don't know about you, but for me, as a very strong-willed daughter to this day, obedience and respect is so hard for me. Um, I used to tell my mom, mom, don't tell me what to do because the minute you tell me what to do, I immediately want to do the opposite of what you say. So why don't you just stop telling me what to do and I'll be fine. <laughs> but in the Bible, God talks about the importance of obeying our parents. And it's so important to him that he listed in the 10 commandments, um, right up there with don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother. Um, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says, children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. So not only is it in the Ten Commandments, but God includes a promise with it, that when we are honoring our mothers and our fathers, he will bless us. Um, there are many times I failed at this, and I think I can count on the hand, my, my hand the times that I really willingly obeyed when it was more difficult and I really didn't want to. And uh, my senior year of high school, my mom came to me and said, I have this great idea. During the summer, I think that we should all go to China and we can teach English and it'll be me and your sisters. And at the time, I was an 18-year-old and I just was so concerned with myself. I was not thinking about this life-giving opportunity across the world. I was thinking, this is my last summer home before college. Virginia Beach is an amazing place to be in the summer, and I don't want to be in China. I want to be with my friends on the beach. I don't want to be with my family. And I said, no way, Mom, I'm not going. And she said, well why don't you just pray about it and see what happens? <laughs> and for me, I always hated it when she pulled that card because it's easy for me to say no to her, but to say no to God, I mean, that's a little bit more difficult. So I began to pray and I just really saw my heart softening to the idea. And I still wasn't crazy about the idea, but I think because I saw my heart softening and I knew it wasn't me because I didn't want to go, um, I felt like God was really challenging me to be obedient. So I think I came to her and said something like, okay, fine, for the record, I don't want to go and I think this is a bad idea, but I'm going to obey God and I will go with you. <laughs> and so she, I, she didn't care. She's like, great, get you on the plane, we're going. And um, so, but looking back, I had no idea how God would bless me through that small act of obedience because it really opened doors to an incredible experience. I went back to China two years later to study the language and the culture, and then even beyond college, when it came to time to apply for jobs, I wasn't thinking about resume building at 18, but that experience really was used in interviews and people wanted to know all about China. Um, so it's so funny because even four or five years later, I saw God's hand continuing to bless me, and it really also helped to strengthen our relationship. 
Um, but I think as we get older, it's hard because that obedience shifts to honor. It's kind of like we're called in the beginning to obey our mommies, and then as we get older, we're called to honor our mothers. Um, and they don't have the same authority that they had, but what does that look like to still honor them? I think one way is just to acknowledge them and consult them and ask their opinion. It doesn't mean that you're gonna listen to them, but just to know that you value um, their feedback and their, their insight. Another beautiful way is to care for them or just appreciate them. Our parents are the ones who gave us life. Um, I think a difficult part about this commandment is that it doesn't say when your parents are perfect and they love you and they do everything you want, then make sure that you honor them. It simply says honor them. And I think that that can be so hard because as we touched on, no parent is perfect. No parent-child relationship is perfect. Um, but I think that we're still called to honor them. And a big way that we can do this is through forgiveness. And this gets us to the number two song of our greatest hits. And this song is by Cher. If I could turn back time. If I could turn back time. We picked this particular song because for so many of us, I think we, there's so many things that we have said or done that we would like to have the chance to go back and change or we'd like to turn back time. Forgiveness is one of the biggest struggles of my life, and I, and, and I faced it at a very young age. When I was a child, I was actually eight years old, my two-and-a-half-year-old sister was killed in our sandbox by an older child, and he was one of my brother's friends, and he strangled her. Not only did my family have to survive the grief, we had to learn to live, we had to learn to live again and we had to learn how to forgive. And I, as an eight-year-old, it's on our way to Spring Branch, I told Elizabeth for the first time that as an eight-year-old, I always felt that it was my fault, that I was responsible because I hadn't cared for her and watched her the way I should have. And when I was 18, I had a conversation with my mother who told me if she had not come to find the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, she would have killed herself because she had such deep regret and felt such responsibility over this death of her daughter. The interesting part and probably one of the most important things I have to say about forgiveness is forgiveness, when you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that what they did was right. But forgiveness is one of God's great gifts to us to take us from a prison of bitterness, resentment, and pain and, and, and walk by faith into a place of health and freedom. It's such an interesting story because my mother, you know, was interested, she was so low, and uh, it, the death of my sister really was the catalyst to her faith. And as she began to grow in her understanding of her Christian faith, she had a, a point in time, probably a few years after my sister had died, that she knew that God was calling her and telling her that she had to forgive the boy who had killed my sister. And that was something that was so far out of her resources, her desire, or her abilities. But she knew the voice of God enough, and she knew his tender love. And she said to him, I am willing to forgive, but I don't have any forgiveness in me. I don't have the opportunity to forgive him, and I cannot do it. But if you will, if you will help me, if you will give me your forgiveness, I am willing to forgive. And many of you know when you pray a prayer like that and you mean business with God that you will probably get that, 
that opportunity. And in a very fluke, on a fluky day, I think, I think it was my mother was going into the classroom to take something from my brother's class, and the, ch the classroom was empty except for this one child who was, who was um, in doing homework while the other students were out at, at recess. She saw him alone, and she knew that this was a divine appointment with the Lord. And the amazing part about it is she went up to him, and she said to him, I, I want you to know that we forgive you. And then to her amazement, out came the words, and I want you to know that I love you. And I've thought a lot about that because I know that she didn't have any of that uh, capacity of love or forgiveness in her heart. And I look back on that as one of the most incredible miracles of a faithful God to a very desperate, grieving mother. And when she could speak the words, and I love you, she knew that she was participating in a complete miracle of God because instead of the hatred, she, she had compassion and love for a child who deserved none of it. And I just think so much, and from that day forward, she, her life was free, not of grief, not of the pain, and even not of the regret, but her life was free of the prison and even the hell that unforgiveness can bring to somebody's life. And I will, the, the last part of this is, is that we want, to, we want to tell you that it's never too late. I think all of us have relationships and pain um, that we carry with us. You know, we are, I am a mother and a daughter all of my life. My mother happens to still be living, but I know that whether your parent or your child is alive or has, her, has gone on, you are still in that relationship. And the wonderful news is that it's never too late to come to a place of forgiveness, to come to a place of healing, to come to a place to, to, to be forgiven or to ask forgiveness. And I think it's so exciting because I, as I walk in my Christian faith, I know that the greatest, the greatest news is that Jesus is the, the Lord of the resurrection. He has come to bring us new life, and he has come to, to bring us wholeness in the lives and in the pain that we have. The Bible says in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And I will tell you that we, we don't have any understanding of why my sister died, and, but I do have the knowledge that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his presence. I have seen him take this terrible death and bring miraculous life, not only to my mother, but to our whole, our whole family and to people who surround us. And that's what he wants to do for each one of us. So thankfully, it's never too late. For our final song, song number one. Girls just want to have fun. And I think that it's important to remember that because sometimes I get so stuck in my own little world or in my own hurts, my pain, my difficulty, that I forget that I actually love my mom, that she gave me life and I'm so grateful for her. And so don't forget to enjoy one another and enjoy that, that life that God has given you in the mother-daughter relationship. Um, and as we conclude and we think on all the different duets that we have in our lives, some that might be really in tune and some that are out of tune. I think that we need to remember on our own 
we are going to have a lot of difficulty trying to sing in harmony and trying to be harmonious with one another. But I think it's important to remember that ultimately in all of these duets, that God is the conductor, that he has made both parts and that he really desires that both parts in this duet are two parts of equal importance. He designed it that way. Um, and I, I just really ask that he can give us that strength to, to navigate these difficult relationships. Um, one of my very most favorite verses in the Bible, besides Psalm 56, is um, Jeremiah 29, 11. And if you're very familiar with scripture, I'm sure you've heard it many times, but I just pray today that we will have fresh eyes to see how this verse can apply to any relationship that we have. And it is, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I think that that is God's design. He has plans for each one of us that are full of hope and full of promise. And it's funny, when I do this talk with my mom, I leave sometimes thinking, how can I ever be a mother? What if I have a daughter like me? I just don't know if I can handle it. And I get so afraid. And my mom always reminds me, just in the beginning of her talk, she says, God is the God of mothers and daughters, and he has a plan, and his desire is for both parts to be successful. And so I just really pray that we will all be encouraged with the hope that we have in the one who is the ultimate conductor and the one who has a plan. So let's pray. God, I thank you for each mother in this room, the sacrifices that they make and just the way that you have given them their children. God, and I just, we all, Thank you so much for the mothers that you've given us, that you have chosen us to be their children and that you have chosen them to be our mothers. And I thank you that you have plans. You are the God of hope. And I just pray that we will leave today feeling that sense of new life and new hope in you and see how that can apply to all of the relationships that we're in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.